Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the lazily young, vacantly hip, and remotely lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, joined by Olga Segura. Hey guys. And Zach Davis. Hello. Can you can you smell that Hello. summer breeze? I can. <laughs> We're on vacation right now. Um, mm-hmm. So we are releasing some interview-only episodes over this July break. Uh, and who's our guest this week, Olga? This week, we're talking with Dr. Tara Isabella Burton. She is the author of the novel Social Creature. She holds a doctorate in theology and French literature from the University of Oxford and covers religion for Vox. She's incredibly smart and was super, super interesting to chat with. Yeah, really and that's fun. Vox with a V. Yeah, um, with a V. <laughs> yeah, we ta- and we talked to her a little bit about her new book um, and why it's worthwhile to study religion, even if you're not religious, and how her faith uh, has influenced her work at Vox and how her work at Vox is influenced her own faith. Yeah, and she, yeah, she's wonderful. And the mm-hmm. book is wonderful. Uh, I read it and it, it gave me nightmares, but I would still It is a great summer read. <laughs> yeah. So this is a good episode there right now. Hope you enjoyed the show. So joining us today is Tara Isabella Burton. She covers religion at Vox and she just published her first novel, Social Creature. Welcome to Jesuitical, Tara. Oh, hello. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah. congratulations. Yeah, yeah. It's, congrats. It's, Thank it, you. It's a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, physically, the cover is just yeah. like yeah. Yeah. Uh, amazing and like glitzy. Yeah. And, and I finished exciting. it this weekend and it was really, really great. A little disturbing. I had some bad <laughs> dreams. Good. I'm glad that's what I was going for. Right. Bad but, dreams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone told me, she's like, I read half of your book uh, and then I went to sleep and I had horrible nightmares. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly like, the that's desired exactly effect. That's exactly what I was going Good. for. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, but before we, we get into some book talk, first, um, you wrote this really great piece for The Atlantic back in 2013 where you talked about how studying theology really helped you to sort of understand circumstances that were different from your own. Um, so why do you think, it, why is it worthwhile to study theology? Absolutely. I was telling someone the other day that I think the same things that made me want to be an academic theologian make me want to be a novelist. I like trying to understand people from the inside out. So rather than just looking at people comparatively and saying, well, how is this person is different from this person, really trying to understand the questions about God and interpersonal relationships and physical space and nature and morality and all of these big questions and figuring out how people's belief systems fit together and are internally perhaps not totally consistent, but part of an internal narrative um, helps me understand people better. So for me, theology was kind of like inside out history where you started with an individual person and their historical circumstances, but also the way in which their ideas kind of fit together and then proceeded outwards. Um, But you did the most impressive thing of all, which was, you know, for a lot of people at least, is you convinced your mother of this? Or... <laughs> it's no, that's an ongoing why I love your Because I, I studied religion too, and so I remember reading this and being like, yes, see? Um, but I had the same reasoning. It was like I was had to choose a major, and I was like, well, I want to do history and literature and theology and <laughs> everything. And I was like, I can just do all of those by studying religion. Absolutely. Uh, I think my mother's slowly come around, but I remember she was so horrified, and she sat me down very seriously and said, Tara, if you study study religion no one is going to talk to you at cocktail parties (laughs) and i'm happy to say that's completely false actually every time i go to a cocktail party i kind of lead with the religion thing and people are like oh my god well i have thoughts about god let me tell you yeah like whatever whatever uh, religious tradition they're from they have thoughts and they you know i should hear them when i feel like people don't have 
spaces where they can have those thoughts a lot of the times, right? So like, it's almost like an invitation when you say, I, you know, I cover this or I studied this. People get really excited talking about, I mean, talking about God or talking about their own atheism or talking about faith or talking about their feelings about religion. And I think people, you're right, don't have an outlet. So when I sort of present myself as the sort of person who will probably not judge them, um, they get really excited to talk to me. um, And I'm always excited to hear it. People, I do think even quote unquote secular people or people who consider themselves religiously unaffiliated or not interested in religion are often much more interested in talking about it, whether or not they come at it from a particular faith tradition. Yeah, and I think that's evident. Like, Vox hired you, and that might be surprising to some people. People think of Vox as like a wonky politics policy uh, website, uh, but they decided that they wanted a religion correspondent. Uh, so how was it making that jump from academia to journalism? Um, it was great. I mean, I'm so glad that Vox, you know, I'm glad they hired me, but I also am glad that they had... Um, but they decided that my position was one. You're the first one. religion. I'm the first full time one. Yeah. I think. What is your conception of like what your mission is in the job? So I have a few different roles, and one of the most straightforward is to kind of be a little bit of a translator. So translate religion stories to a largely but not completely secular audience who may not be familiar with like nuanced differences between groups, um, may not know the difference between a mainline Protestant and an evangelical, uh, may not know about other issues or debates going on. It's my job to translate. Um, But I think what I really get excited about is in addition to kind of that daily work, which is more regular, are opportunities to bring a kind of theologian's perspective to religion-adjacent stories. Um, So kind of expanding the religion beat to be about values and how we determine them. Um, One of the pieces I'm proudest of um, was a piece about the way in which public morality is in part defined and performed by like the ways in which corporations say, you know, Mm -hmm. will support a particular political position or will boycott uh, on both sides of the political spectrum and asking sort of what does that mean that capitalism is a means by which our values are reified and transmitted. So, so Tara, how has uh, how has faith informed your work as a secular journalist covering who is reporting on religion? So I think that I've, I've always been, how can I put this? I became more religious as a result of the job, um, which is something that I'm probably going to end up writing about for what is your What was your background? So I was raised? born and raised Episcopalian, but I was very like, Christmas, Easter, <laughs> like coffee hour, cookies. You know, my family was, we liked Bible stories and, you know, Christmas trees and Santa and were vaguely Christian, but not really observant beyond that. We were various sort of progressive cultural Christians, but I was always like ridiculously into religion as a kid in this very, like the same way kids are into ponies. Like I would make my stuffed animals go to church and had little pews and I'd make altars. Um, And obviously this was like very weird because I was the only person in my family that was like that. And I sort of fell away from it a lot as as an adult. And bizarrely, as a theologian, I often felt kind of removed like this was something that I thought about academically but didn't have a personal so you're able in my to life. compartmentalize yeah absolutely these. I think I, I never I, you know I always identified kind of as a Christian I had sort of the requisite as many people at Oriel College Oxford do like should I convert to Catholicism um because <laughs> you know it's it was John Henry Newman's college um and he's he's just like looming over there yeah as well but, but between yeah. him and Brideshead you're just like like <laughs> Oxford is it, also the thing about Oxford is it's so f- suffused with a theological sense 
that you kind of don't notice that you're not necessarily observant. Like you walk down um, St. Giles and you have your, you know, your monks in various different habits from all the, the different permanent private houses. And you have the, you know, your, your, your Buddhist monks and you have your, your one druid who always hangs out and drinks at the Oxford Union Bar. <laughs> I still don't know his name. Um, but there's such a, a way in which kind of religious life is so part of the collegiate life that you take it for granted. And I think actually once I came to New York and once that was no longer a given, did I realize that kind of maybe I'd been religious all along and not noticed it. I have become sort of more more religious as a result of the job. And the way that I deal with it in terms of being objective is also often just by declaring my biases. Like if I do have a piece that requires a little bit more of my own voice or my own analysis rather than just straight up reporting, I do try to kind of be very open about not just like I'm a Christian and this is how I see things, but often be very specific. Like I'm a, I'm a Christian from a relatively progressive but also small t traditionalist Episcopalian tradition and here's what I respond to and you know hopefully I don't take up too much of the piece to to do it but if there's ever a case where if I'm worried about a bias I'd rather declare it and let the reader decide and say okay she's informed by this so Tara in in addition to being an academic and reporter you're also a novelist we mentioned your first novel was just published um, and it's a novel about sin so how did your experience uh, as a religion reporter inform your writing for this novel I'm so excited that you called it a novel about sin. I, <laughs> I, I was trying to push that on the marketing. It didn't quite um, sell as, as well as like... Well, we, it's we, a novel girl, about you know. makeup and parties. Yeah. Our Jesuit feelers picked yeah. up on it yeah. through, through the marketing and communication spin. And we oh, could, we excellent. Could we read those undertones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the novel is about... I don't want to give too many spoilers, but yeah, it's about... You could just set up the, the characters yes. and the stage. So it's um, inspired a lot by the talented Mr. Ripley Um but with women in contemporary New York City. So it's about this toxic, obsessive friendship between a kind of highly performative, exuberant, extravagant 23-year-old on, quote-unquote, a sabbatical from Yale to write her novel, (laughs) uh, and the sort of 29-year-old hustler, slightly not over the hill in any real sense, but over the hill by the standards of the, let's be discovered under 40, uh, or under 30 rather, New York literati scene. And their friendship becomes at first mutually beneficial. You know, Lavinia treats Louise to dinner at first and then trips to parties and then lends her her old clothes and says, move into my house, uh, but ultimately becomes toxic because it becomes clear that each woman is using the other to fill a gap or a need. And when ultimately that relationship turns fatal. Um, The second half of the book is about Louise living with the aftermath of what she's done. And it's a bit of a, it's compared to the talented Mr. Ripley, and we ourselves make that comparison. I make that comparison all the time. But in a sense, it's, it's a book less about someone trying to get away with something and more about the kind of spiritual corrosion that happens when you do get away with something that maybe you shouldn't be getting away with. Um, none of her her plans to get away with what she's done are particularly smart or clever. She's not a con artist. She's not a a real sort of high-level grifter of the Anna Delvey sort. She's just someone who lies to save her own skin and gets lucky and then has to kind of live every day with with knowing that and that anxiety and that consciousness that perhaps... You know, the worst punishment for her is that she's living in a world where she can get away with this and that no one spiritually or materially is ever going to call her out on it. Mm. So is your is the definition of, of sin that's sort of operative in the book that is, you know, there is that 
gap that everyone has, which you know you could attribute to original sin or whatever, but using using other people and other things to fill that gap? Absolutely. I mean, I think that all of the characters are inherently broken and all of the characters, you know, desires are warped in in various ways and they're not able to to authentically exist. And because they can't exist, they can't know one another. And so they can't really love one another. Um, there's a line in the book that came in during the editing process uh, that Louise thinks in this moment of terror, um, we cannot be known and loved at the same time. Of course, in a theological context, we absolutely can. And like, right. that's what grace is. And that's wonderful. But that's an, the scandal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It can happen. Um, but for these characters who who lack, let's say, an awareness of grace, an awareness of the possibility of grace, they they cannot be seen and loved at the same time. And they cannot see others and love them at the same time. I think the tragedy of the book is that both women are human beings who are sinful and broken in many ways, but also beloved children of God and have the possibility for goodness within them. You mentioned... Um, maybe considering Catholicism a little bit while you're at Oxford. Um, so the real reason we invite you on the <laughs> Jesuit <laughs> podcast is here to... No, no but I'm also... basically Catholic anyway. In, in, your, in your novel, Social Creature, one of the characters is Catholic. And yes. I, I see a little, like, Catholic Amer uh, imagination going on in, in the book. Uh, so what what is it about Catholicism that you find intriguing? I grew up partly in Rome. My father, um, who's not in my life, but was um, Italian, and my mother met him in Italy. And so very much of the kind of both the imagery and the, not just the aesthetics in a removed sense, but like in a very visceral way, my my mental and emotional Christianity is Catholic. That's what I grew up with. My mother always tells the story that she like took me to the Sistine Chapel in my stroller and left me in front of the Last Judgment, but that I was like too small to like look all the way up. So I just saw the hell section and like freaked nice. out. That's super Catholic. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, I had no idea. Like I think I like saw a postcard later. I was like, oh my God, there's angels in this? What? Um, so there was, a, it's a very visceral connection. Um, I do think that I, I'm inherently instinctively pro-tradition. And that's something that I will often correct for because in some ways my politics don't always align with that, I would say. But it's something that I have a deep respect for and that sort of viscerally, I'm like, yes, I, I don't change anything, have it, everything Latin exactly as it was. Um, I don't I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily arguing for that. I think often I try to correct for my instinctive love of that. Um, but I also respond very strongly to liturgy and to the sacraments. And uh, I kind of wish we had even more of that in my church. I mean, I'm Episcopalian. We have a lot of that. But um, <laughs> but you know where they have even more. Oh, Zach, we are not. <laughs> I'm, just I'm just saying. This is going to happen. We're I will, not I proselytizing. <laughs> I am a little. I am a little. <laughs> I'm not ruling it out. Let's right. put it that way. I so, like my church, but I'm not ruling it out at some point. Um, so, Tara, one final question for you. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or non-Catholic, who would Fictional it be and why? Or fictional or not. Sorry, I forgot that part. We just made her spit out her gin and tonic, I'd like to say. <laughs> this is the most Catholic thing that's happened to me today. Spit out my gin, be like, who could I canonize? Oh, mm -hmm. man. Oh. Okay. Um, Prince Mishkin from Dostoevsky's The Idiot. Um, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for holy fools, and I'm particularly a sucker for people who are, um, whose goodness is a kind of utterly unself-aware foolishness. Um you know, perhaps because of my interest in like social settings and, you know, particularly in something like social creature, the social subtleties um, of of someone who kind of gloriously exudes um, 
who refuses to buy into that, who sort of places himself outside of it, uh, is attractive to me. So I'm sure he has not sort of done as many great works. I mean, he's still just like a Russian prince. But, I, you know, I I personally think we should canonize Prince Mishkin. All right. All right. So St. Prince Mishkin. <laughs> Thank awesome. you so much for joining us. And what prince? Go ahead. And where can people find your work? Uh, so um, Social Creature is out from Doubleday in the U.S., uh, Raven Books, uh, from in the UK, about will be about ten other countries. Uh, I'm on Twitter as at notoriousTIB, and my website is taraisabellaburton.com. And awesome. there's going to be a movie. Oh, and there's going to be a they movie. Already... Oh yeah, a Lionsgate um, oh has it in gosh. development. So congratulations. I mean, there's not going to. It is in development, and one hopes that the movie will come. But it is currently in the process of being made uh, with Lionsgate. So I'm very excited about that. Ooh. Awesome. Well, thank you so much Great. for joining thank us. You, thank you. Thank you. Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson, engineering and design by Angelo Jesus Canta. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. <laughs>